from the city that brought you the factory of sadness, now comes the House of Bliss podcast. Dude, I'm gonna go back in this later and edit it. I'm gonna make it sound like I'm throwing you off a cliff. So just give me your best, like, falling house of bliss. House of bliss. Was that what you were Appar- I mean, apparently it was like a dimensional portal because I didn't hear a thud, but that's cool. Oh, yeah. That'll work. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay, you're thud. dead. All right. Oh, sweet. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our wonderful podcast. This is the Bliss Commander. Mark Duman. I'm sitting right alongside uh, a very handsomely scruffy Cole Harmon. Cole Harmon, say hello. Hello, Cole Harmon. I went scruffy. I I've been working on this beard for a while. I'd I'd like to think of it more as sculpted roughness. Sculpted roughness. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's rugged hand- is the term I think. Handsomely sculpted roughness. I would add to that. I would like you to say something refreshing right off the top of the bat. Refresh our audience with a word. Say something refreshing. Orinthology. <laughs> orinthology. <laughs> I don't even know what orinthology is. I don't either. It's a jazz song. I just got refreshed Charlie by it. <laughs> 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 orinthology really refreshes the spirit. It's Yeah, he's playing his little clarinet. It's great. You should Very check nice. it out. You know what also refreshes the spirit is a jazz flute. Jazz flute. We'll it's it true. Especially if Ron Burgundy's yes. doing it and he's setting stuff on fire. <laughs> Dude, I... Okay, so with... One time, my band, Glowing Moses, if you're not familiar, listeners, we, were, we had our worst, worst, worst show ever in New York City. <laughs> and we had this whole joke about how, you know, in Anchorman... He's like, got some ham and eggs coming your way. And he starts playing flute. So our joke was we were going to open the show in New York City. It's all, you know, everybody's a little stiff there. It's just a different vibe than the Midwest. Those and uh, uptight East Coast <laughs> Yeah, We love so you, though, if you're listening. We're in this, like, hipster club. And we're like, wouldn't it be funny if we just, like, didn't even introduce ourselves? We were just like, got some ham and eggs coming your way. And then start with a song. So I said that. I was like, got some ham and eggs coming your way. And, like, on the first note of the first song, the power goes out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we set everything up and it's awkward we're like oh hi we're Chloe Moses from Cleveland and we start again Nate breaks a string first note of the first song so we had to stop again <laughs> do it again the power goes out again on our setup so by this time all these like hipster people have had enough and we have about half our people that are watching walk out on us <laughs> they're like oh man that was embarrassing so yeah and ladies and gentlemen that is how glowing moses got started ham and eggs <laughs> we got some ham and eggs for you guys today on on today's podcast uh before we dive in though i know cole you are uber passionate one of the great sports minds of our day we've got a little event called the super bowl uh, why don't you break it down for the people? What what are they? What can they expect to see in the, this year's Super Bowl? 
Actually, so hold on. Who is going? It's the... You got the Patriots versus uh, the Rams. New England versus LA. I know enough about football to know that everyone hates the Patriots except the Patriots. So that's that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the is it the Rams? The Rams. Yeah, the Rams in L.A. Uh, so the Rams were in St. Louis and they moved to L.A. And now, really, people in L.A. they don't really watch the Rams too much. So. Who who are the who are the Rams fans? Because like in, <laughs> yeah. I used to live in Kansas City. I know the Chiefs are. So there was two teams. Yeah, there were two teams in Missouri for St- a little bit, and then one went to L.A. Well, no offense, but I just feel like St. Louis. It's like it's a cool town. It's just not. Like, I don't know if it deserves its own football team exactly. And it's but, got the arch, though. Well, the arch is cool, yeah. That arch is They've nice. already got an arch. Do they really need it? Well, anyway, so, no, yeah, right. the Rams. Uh, my money my money is on the Rams. I, I, all I know about the Patriots is that they have more than once bested the Seahawks. And I like the Seahawks because I'm from Seattle. So I'm going to call the Rams. It's the Rams. Go ahead and place your bets on our brand new Facebook page, House of Bliss Podcast, and uh, there will be no money involved in it for you, but we'll at least uh, give you a pat on the back, maybe a like. Yeah, if you do uh, put money on it and you win like megatons of money, think about maybe throwing a little uh, throwing a little change our way. Ooh. So we've got this amazing site called Patreon. Essentially, it is a way that you can subscribe for premium benefits all the while supporting our podcast, ensuring that we get to do this. And yeah, we've got all kinds of fun like levels. So you can start with $1 a month. So that's less than less less than six gumballs a month. I mean, that re- <laughs> honestly, like I, if you like this podcast, consider at least becoming a, a $1 a month, all the way up to 500 a month, which is considerably more gumballs. And uh, yeah, so like different levels unlock different things. So for example, um, I just did a uh, songwriting class in Denmark with my band and I recorded the audio. So on the first of the month, all my $25 a month level patrons, or no, actually the $10, they're going to get that sent to them in their email. They're going to get to listen to it. So if that excites you. Lucky. Yeah, and speaking of our fabulous patrons, we got a whole round this month. Totally blew my mind. We've got Kim. Thank you, Kim. We've got Jess and Justin, who are actually the owners and operators of Ruth's Place. Thank you, guys. Uh, We have got my fabulous parents, who are my first patrons, Jeff and Jill. Thank you so very much. And lastly, we've got Jared Flack. Yeah, and uh, if you want to talk about a beard, that is a beard. Like... That guy's beard is so fantastically wild that I feel like I'm right back in the jungle every time I see it. Like, I feel like that beard has a machete built into it. Yeah, I'm sure he has all kinds <laughs> like of Like, he doesn't need a machete. There. Like, he just he comes across some, like, vines. He just whacks his beard at it, and it just falls apart. It, it is its own thing. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's alive. Yeah. The word of God is alive and active, and the beard of Jared is alive and active. (laughs) Sharper than any double Wait, I might have to beep that out. I don't know if he wants to say his last name. So Jared, fuck. Frack. I'll I'll bleep that out later. Yeah, okay. Very good. Um, We had a snow-nami. For for those of you that aren't from Cleveland, Ohio, we got hit with, I don't know, like a foot and a half of snow. Oh, yeah. Cole, how did you you handle your time with the snow-nami? Well... I love my church. Shout out to Bethel Cleveland. But I was thrilled to wake up and just get to stay home with the family and uh, 
watch Tidying Up with Marie Kondo blew my mind, cleaned my closet after like two episodes. Dude, that lady's powerful. She will put the the clean inside of you. Like she will make you want to clean stuff. So that's that's what I did. I cleaned. I've never even heard of this girl before. Okay, well she's this she's just like this adorable Japanese lady who goes into people's homes and I don't know, like reads their energy or whatever and just completely like helps them transform their house and it's so emotional. You want to cry every time because these people who like they just have piles of stuff they don't know what to do with and she helps them put it in place and let go of stuff that's holding them back but I don't know why this turned into a commercial for tidying up. I know we uh, we snuck (laughs) we snuck a plug in there for tidying up. Maybe she'll be a patron. Look Marie Kondo you're on Netflix you can afford the $500 a month uh tier on patreon so please feel free she's gonna get us that private jet (laughs) that we've been wanting yes (laughs) (laughs) so good how advertisements just work work themselves into our show we don't even have to try um the other thing we do have to talk about uh outside the snownami i'm so happy by the way you survived the snownami there was a time there where i didn't know if i was going to make it through but I'm doing well. Every Anybody that's out there, uh, folks back home in Minnesota or around the country, even around the world, I know I've got friends around the world uh, that are probably concerned about me with this foot and a half of snow. I want you to know I'm, I'm well, I'm able, I'm strong. It was record-breaking. Was it? No, but it was. <laughs> I had snow on my window, so it kind of freaked me out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it was probably a record, like a personal record for, um, I don't know when it was, at like January, January 20th or something like that. How'd you stay sane? Well, how'd you do it, man? When the darkness was closing in and you couldn't even see out your windows because they were just covered <laughs> in snow, like, how did you fight off the the panic? I tell you what, um, one, I always keep a full refrigerator uh, just in case you've got a snow nami. So I was well fed. I had a uh, a great support system. Um, I skipped church as well, which was a- actually worked out to be fantastic. We had folks come over in my living room, and so I, uh, you know. I I got close with my Wait, friends. Wait, so your stash of food was still there. You had people able to come to your house, but you didn't have them bring anything? <laughs> I didn't, and I didn't let them eat anything either because I had to protect my stash. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Preserve my rations in case yes. we got another foot and a half of snow. And uh, probably the Lord. The Lord definitely got me through that time. Mm. So, yep. Philippians uh, 420 or whatever. <laughs> 413. I 413. Can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Speaking of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I wanted to uh, touch base with Chris Pratt. Um, like you, our audience, me and Cole, we're very passionate Chris Pratt fans. Mm. This week was a big week for him. Star-Lord, <laughs> yep. Andy Dwyer from uh, Parks and Rec. Definitely his defining role. Uh, he, I don't know what his character is in Jurassic Park. What's the, the name of his character? It's just Andy Dwyer with muscles and a machete. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the muscular Andy Dwyer yes. of Jurassic Park. This is the Chris Pat that we talk about. One last question I'd like, before we really dive into our podcast, uh, where were you, Cole Harmon, when you found out about Chris Pratt's engagement this week? I'll never forget it. <laughs> I was in school with the boys. Our headmaster said, everyone, stop everything. Flip on the telly. We turn it on. Panic in the streets. Riots. Millions and millions, perhaps billions of women everywhere just in distress because Chris Pratt is off the market now. Ew, ooh, that's tough. 
It's yeah. a tough pill to swallow. We are so sorry to our female audience, especially our single female audience. So like our first podcast, uh, we uh, ministered to those that were affected by lettuce illnesses. I think this podcast goes to any lady that's been broken hearted over the Chris Pat engagement. We're believing for a supernatural healing of your heart. Yeah, and we'll get into this later. But if you really, you just need some time to heal up and figure this stuff out. Uh, we're going to be talking a little later in this episode about a very fantastic women's retreat. This is actually not a joke. We're, we joke around a lot, but this is not a joke. There's a really fantastic women's retreat coming up in the Cleveland area. We'd love to tell you about, so stay tuned. Stay tuned, especially yeah. if you have a broken heart over the Chris Pratt engagement. <laughs> we have got the retreat for you. Fantastic. So this week, episode numero dos. 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 Number two. That's two. Uh, we're we're going to unpack uh, a subject for you. Now, it's a pretty big question that we like to ask, and I think it's probably a question that we're going to sort of be unraveling uh, throughout the many podcasts to come. But kind of the question that we'd like to tackle is, what is the gospel? And so, Cole, why don't you kind of introduce why you wanted to talk about this subject today? Uh, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I prepared a, all week for this, but let me I didn't ask even... it in a small, smaller <laughs> okay. fashion. Like it's a big question, but in a small sense, Cole. Um, why don't you ask the question? What is the gospel? But I thought you meant you were just going to use less words. Like, I was gonna... what gospel? <laughs> gospel would. I was trying to think of small adjectives, but my mind went blank. Oh uh, yes. Um, okay, so. I started to realize something that really kind of bugged me. And I don't know if you're on Facebook, Mark. Well, actually, I do know, but I don't know how often you're on there. But I feel like my feed is at least 50% advertisements for how I can get into these marketing clubs and marketing, like, strategies and stuff like that you always see like a dude with like a nice red robe and a cigar in front of a fireplace like here's how i never had to work a day in my life again because of this brand new marketing strategy and you start to look into this stuff and you hear all these people with these dazzling presentations about marketing like let's talk about marketing and this strategy and that strategy but when you start to dive in you realize there's really no talk of marketing at all it's just the idea of marketing is really all they're pushing and I started to realize uh, probably about six years ago that I hear so many people talk about the gospel, which would be the message of Jesus, but they never really dive into like, what is the gospel? You know what I mean? It's always like, we got to get back to the gospel. Let's just make it all about the gospel. But then you never actually hear it articulated. And when you do, I just started to get kind of bugged because like you read the New Testament and uh, first of all, the stuff that they're saying really doesn't have anything to do with this idea of saying a prayer to get into the kingdom of God, really going off to heaven when you die, um, which I guess if you, you know, I did this as an experiment, um, go around and just ask a bunch of pe church people, what is the gospel? And the answers that you get are usually either, well, I actually don't know, or something like Jesus died for your sins, and if you you know say this prayer, you can go to heaven when you die, or some version of that. And I just realized, like, I don't know if that was the message that was compelling people to die. You know, that was the message that was driving Paul all the way across, you know, the known world to get beaten and shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and all kinds of stuff. 
I just don't know. You don't, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I thought, you know, there's got to be more to this gospel than this sort of elevator pitch of just say this prayer real quick and everything will come true for you. All your dreams will come true. It's like vote for Jesus. <laughs> vote <Yeah>. for Pedro. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I think for me too, like uh, one thing I realized, even as we were doing our first episode, you know, we constantly referenced the gospel, the yeah. gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And so there's an idea, there's a belief system that I attach to it. There's an idea, there's a belief system that you attach behind it. And uh, and it's not like you are right uh, versus I'm wrong or I'm right versus you wrong. Yeah. But I think like what we've discovered is there's sort of, you know, the gospel... Um, is in essence, it, it can be a really simple message, but at the same time, it's just like this, there's this beautiful complexity to it to where right. like I see an aspect of it and, and, and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And then you have this aspect that you can also add to it and it's beautiful and amazing. And so, uh, I think like what, what we really like to do with our podcast is just begin to kind of share these various aspects of it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember having a good talk with my friend uh, Scott Crowder. We were talking about how the gospel has been kind of reduced to this elevator pitch. But when you start to dive into what the whole of Christianity has to say about the gospel, you realize it's more like a feast. It's more like a feast laid before you than it is this little elevator pitch to sell people on. And I don't want to knock this idea of a simple gospel, because yeah, it's so simple that a child could grasp it. But at the same time, there's really two different ways you can look at simplicity. And I love it. C. Baxter Kruger, one of our favorites, if you guys don't know who he is, just look him up, C. Baxter Kruger. Just start on YouTube. I guarantee you'll find something amazing to listen to. But um, he talks about it like, we want a simplicity that is essentially just ignorance where you don't know the complexities, you don't even care to dive into it, you just like want your little easy to understand and grasp thing, and that's your version of simplicity. That's not real simplicity though. True simplicity is when you take and you've explored the depths and you've gone all the way out and then you can take that and put it in a nice distilled form, uh, like poetry almost. That is the kind of simple gospel that I'm looking for. One that's like a doorway, a simple doorway into this vast wealth of of a feast, of, of something to enjoy and plunge into and explore. Yeah, so that's kind of what I want to dive into today. Oh, that's so good. I think like one other thought that I would share with that is I think it's really cool throughout sort of the Bible, throughout, I, I guess, a, a gospel message like God, he identifies with our various experiences of love. So yeah. if you've experienced like the love of God as a father, like he identifies himself as a father, if you've experienced love in life, uh, bride versus bridegroom, he identifies himself as a bridegroom. If you've experienced like great love uh, from a friend, he identifies himself as the friend yeah. of humanity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there's all these various aspects from which we which he sort of identifies like this framework of love. But like, I think one thing that's really cool for me is I sort of lean into sort of this uh, idea of God who romances our hearts. He literally sweeps us Mm. off our feet. Yeah. So I I really think it's so cool. Like when we start to unpack uh, different thoughts that we're going to identify as the gospel, it's literally a message that will sweep you off your feet. 
And it's a message, you know, like just like if you were, you know, wildly in love with somebody, I'm sure uh, you're wildly in love with the Miss Katie Harmon. Oh, 100%. To the point where, you know, she's uh, swept you off your feet. You've swept her off of, of her feet. But it's like a love that you immediately want to begin to express and share with people. Like, oh my gosh, I met this girl and she's so incredible. Yeah. Like, you got to know like this aspect and that aspect of her. It's it's just so amazing. And so that's that's part of the gospel that really we're brought into too. Like, sure. oh my God, you got to meet this Jesus. There's this aspect that there's that aspect. I've got to tell you about him. Yeah, and it's not it's not this idea that again like this little simple sales pitch of like say this prayer, do this thing, go to heaven when you die. But like the love that I have for my wife is like all consuming. I think about her all the time. I would die for her. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a love relationship that captivates the human heart. That that's what Jesus is coming to bring us into is this deep, deep, intimate love with the Father that it, it, it like nobody has to tell you to die for that. You know what I mean? You will just go willingly wherever he asks you to go and share that. Nobody has to tell you to share. You won't be able to shut up about it. That's the truth, man. Like there's so much pressure out there to, to evangelize people, to share. Like you've got to share the gospel with people. Are you presenting the gospel? And it's like you, first of all, when you get freed from the idea that it has to be this little pitch, but actually, like you were saying, you could the gospel is a diamond with all these different facets, and you can actually meet people and see kind of what they might need to hear it as and share it with them in that way, which is just yeah, it sets you free and it makes it a lot more easier. But it also uh, you realize that nobody has to tell you to do that, or you don't even have to work up the religious guilt to do it. You just want to share with people. You you have all this fullness and love in your heart, and then you see somebody not experiencing it, and you just, you, you, yeah, you'll find the opportunity to be like, hey, dude, you know what would really help you out right now? What would really make you excited is if you knew this thing that I've been carrying. Yeah. yeah. So that, that really, yeah. That, that's super good. And I like the point kind of that you were making. Like, so I have a couple different frameworks with which I like to sort of envision the gospel. One is sort of this framework of romance, this love that absolutely sweeps you off your feet that you have to just absolutely tell people about. Another uh, framework is it's this conversation that God is having with humanity. And what you find is people are in, you know, their various places of this conversation. So they might identify themselves as a believer. They might not identify themselves as a believer. But what I've found with a lot of people is everybody's engaging with God and in, in this conversation in some sort of way. And so for me, like when I have just conversations with people, it's like what you're talking about, Cole. I'm trying to figure out where are they in this conversation mm -hmm. yeah. with God? What is the peace that they're needing? What is something that's sort of missing in their understanding of God that's going to sort of like bring them forward in their conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a little bit off track here, I guess. But like, that's kind of my other sort of issue with that uh, model of sharing the gospel is it's like a marriage relationship. And you're trying to essentially take someone from zero to marriage in, in 30 seconds. You're, uh -huh. you're, you're like pushing them like, just do it. Just say the prayer. Just do the thing. Fall in love with Jesus. Do it. You know what I mean? Whereas like, I mean, there's definitely moments like that. I can honestly say I've seen hundreds of people uh, just through stuff that I've shared come to that point 
in front of me, but other times it's like they might need time to hear about it. They might need time to get to know this lover, Jesus, before they're actually willing to like pledge their existence to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't really push that anymore, but I'm always ready if it's there. Absolutely. So you know what we're doing, Cole, though? Well, we're, we're, we're talking about we're the talking gospel. We're talking about gospel, but not actually telling <laughs> yeah. them what the gospel is. Right. Marketing. We <laughs> have so all the marketing. strategies, business, capital, <laughs> increase. We've got it. <laughs> this whole this whole podcast is going to be what is the gospel, but we won't <laughs> yeah. actually tell you what yes. the gospel is. right. You'll mm. be listening to the very end. <clears throat> no, what we'd like to actually do, uh, Cole, you actually presented it to me. I thought this was a really interesting concept. So you you had sort of something that you wanted to unpack in this episode where you want to sort of present the gospel for what it meant through sort of the lens of uh, Romans during the time of Christ and then uh, the Jews during that time and then maybe even uh, to the early church. So why don't we just start with the Romans? Like, why don't you begin to sort of present thoughts of what did the gospel mean to the, the culture of the Romans during the time of Christ? Yeah, I kind of wanted to start with the Romans and with the Jewish way because I think our modern culture doesn't realize just how revolutionary and explosive the message of Jesus was in that time precisely because it was very rooted in what was going on. Not because it stood above it, but because Jesus chose that time and place for some very powerful reasons that we'll kind of dive into and so sometimes like when you think of christianity and it's just like people singing hill songs in tight jeans in the 21st century you you just kind of like i mean that's awesome i'm not knocking that but you, you just don't understand how that is so revolutionary that people would want to kill jesus you know what i mean because it's not something that really makes people want to get killed in america now if you actually attach a lot of the original meaning to it now this is stuff I've been saying for the last couple of years. Now I can see like, oh, this is an electric message that could honestly offend a lot of people. So, okay, so Rome. You don't know, Rome was one of the most pervasive, massive empires to ever be on the planet. They absolutely destroyed and brutalized like the entire world basically at the time, the entire known world. And so the Jews, they were like stuck under the thumb of that empire. And they were a brutal empire. The way, this is part of like why the cross is important, but the way that they would sort of assert their dominance is not only would they go in and conquer you, but they would would basically strip people naked, torture them, and then crucify them in public so that people, I mean, if you don't know anything about crucifixion, uh, maybe Google it, maybe don't, but maybe watch The Passion of the Christ. It would take days for people to die because they would essentially very slowly suffocate. And it was just horrible. They'd like, yeah, anyway. So they would put that in public and let people writhe in the streets just to show people like, hey, if you mess with Rome, if you even think about rebelling, this is what happens to you. This is what we're going to do to you. And so they would just essentially beat the morale daylights out of people. And also, I didn't realize until recently that there was an entire cult called the Imperial Cult where Caesar, who was like the king or the head of this empire, he not only declared himself to be God, but to be the divine 
agent of justice and peace in the world administrated by God. So his title, he made everybody call him Lord, God, and King. And so that was the mantra of the empire of Rome was Caesar is Lord. And they they had essentially their own gospel or good news of Rome that their destiny was to bring a kingdom all across the earth that would bring order and justice to it all. But the way they did it was by basically, uh, they call it like Pax Romana. It was like peace, peace by force, basically. And their whole idea was we're just going to wipe out anybody that will argue with us. So there will be peace because nobody will want to argue with us. Like there's no conflict if you kill all the people that have a conflict with you. (laughs) So that was like this terrifying superpower known as Rome. And so when Jesus shows up, the claims are outrageous. He's saying people would say Jesus is Lord. They're saying Caesar is not Lord, that actually Jesus is the king and savior of the universe. Jesus's kingdom is the way in which there's going to be order and justice throughout the entire planet. Like it was a radically political deal. You know, it's crazy because those early disciples, they didn't get it. You know, they they didn't get that Jesus is not saying I'm a king and I'm going to come and overthrow you out of office and take office and just set up another political superpower. But there was like this whole separate realm, this counterculture where the kingdom of Jesus is based on love and the kingdom of Jesus is advanced by dying for your enemies. And so the way Jesus conquered Caesar is not by killing him, not by um, demoralizing his enemies, but by actually taking the very instrument that they used to humiliate people across and choosing to die on it as the king. And then when he raised to life, he essentially said, your whole empire is falling. It's useless, and it's going to be overthrown through love. And he did miracles. He did these miracles. Like his kingdom, when when the kingdom of God shows up, it sets people free. He went on a war path, not killing, but setting people free from demonic spirits and healing the sick and raising the dead. Everywhere he went, this King Jesus brought life and freedom to all people. And then he gave that power. He said, you will be my witnesses to my gospel you will preach the gospel of Jesus, me, and I will give you the power to do the same thing. So it's 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 amazing. And I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of apostles, Mark. I've heard of them. Right. But apostles, their whole deal was, uh, <laughs> this is why like when you know this stuff, it kind of flips the modern gospel on its head a bit. Rather than dying and going to heaven, the goal of Rome was to set up outposts of Rome everywhere until... Rome was everywhere, if that makes sense. So like, instead of the capital city was too crowded, they weren't trying to get people to move into the capital city. They were trying to push it out and they would send people who would go and culturize it. They would teach them the ways and the religion and the politics of Rome until that place basically became an extension of Rome. So Jesus, his sent ones, their job was to know the culture of the kingdom of heaven and to go and establish it. Yeah, and so it's this whole kingdom that spreads of Jesus. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Well, 
if you are interested in that, read N.T. Wright. He's he's the dude uh, who is really kind of helping me understand that stuff. He is way better, by the way, than N.T. Wrong. Oh, yeah, N.T. Wrong. If you get any N.T. Wrong books, I would throw them away. <laughs> Sounds like N.T. Wong. <laughs> there probably is an N.T. Wong who's like a lawyer out there somewhere or something. <laughs> he might, N.T. Wong might be really good. N.T. Wrong, Not though. so much, yeah. yeah. Definitely stay away from him. I think it's hard for our, uh, us to sort of enter in our modern culture it's hard to enter the framework of like, wow, the severe oppression that Christians were under, the severe persecution um, that they had to face every day. Like one one thing that's kind of cool to me is it, it sort of um, justifies the truth of, of Jesus. He was very real. Christianity at that time was spreading under intense oppression, intense persecution. Yeah. Even like secular historians have a really hard time figuring out like, how under under these circumstances is this message spreading? If like I'm, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if I'm if I'm gonna sort of be this apostle carrying this kingdom and bringing it forward to to wherever the Lord's directing me, but I'm gonna do so knowing it's very well gonna mean my death or like death towards my family or confiscation of property or severe persecution and torture. Like it sort of like gives you a whole nother uh, context for for what the gospel is really all about. Yeah, absolutely. And it was uh, so revolutionary that they were killed for it. But, you know, part of the problem was they assumed that Jesus is a king like Caesar. Not the early Christians, but the Romans. They're like, this is like civil unrest. You're like talking about this king is going to come overthrow. Like they kill people for that. So part of the reason why the gospel of Mark was written um, was for the Romans to see that, no, 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 the kingdom that Jesus is bringing is altogether different than this kingdom. Like the way Jesus goes, whenever Jesus establishes his, king, his kingdom, there's joy, there's celebration. It's actually good for what's going on around him. It's not that he's trying to, I don't know, he, uh, politics, man. <laughs> I see people fall into this trap all the time. We're like, people on the left are like, if we could just replace uh, all those Republicans with you know, leftists, then everything would be great. And you see the exact same thing on the other side. Oh, if we could just kick out these liberals and in politics put in these right people, then everything. It's like, no, no, no. The way of Jesus is like this third way that goes between all of that. Jesus is not necessarily trying to overthrow politics or even participate in it. It's his own kingdom of love. It's his own kingdom of power. And so he would. they, they wrote this gospel to show this Jesus is not going around conquering people. He's going around conquering hearts. He's going around conquering minds. And it does have political implications, but in the sense that you will just stop valuing certain things when you grab a hold of this kingdom, right? Does that yeah. make sense? And then he he gave his, like I said, his power as followers. So the way we as Christians should be witnessing to the world is not by trying to gain more political force, not by trying to, like, again, overthrow a government or, like, establish our reign through outside powerful means, but by standing up and witnessing to our true King Jesus through signs and wonders and miracles and, and letting our enemies become our friends. Like I, Mark, used to be against Jesus. I used to be one of his enemies. I used to hate Christianity and think it was such a waste of time. And then I met that love and it changed me. And now I'm like, obviously I'm on team Jesus. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm on team Jesus as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely so, pro Jesus. So I think that message has so much 
beef right now. You know what I mean? Like so much relevance right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really good. Hey there, everybody. We just wanted to take a break from our podcast. I am literally jumping out my skin to promote this next product to you guys. Cole, I know you've hosted a lot of gatherings at mm-hmm. your house, mm-hmm. various parties. I've definitely done my share of hosting. Nothing more embarrassing at your party than when somebody comes up to you, they ask, hey, do you have any ice to be able to put in my drink? And you're like, yeah, just go ahead. And there's a bunch in the plastic bag on the counter. Or I've got a tray of ice in the freezer. And they just look at you with absolute disgust on their face. They're like literally like, what am I? Some kind of animal that you would have me pull ice out of a bag to be able to put in my drink? Or am I like a pig that I would take ice out of a tray to be put in my beverage? Just just hearing you talk about that, I can feel the searing hot pangs of humiliation. <laughs> it's horrible, Cole. And literally, so I just decided this week, I'm going to do something about it. So I marched right on down to Aldi's. I, I didn't put this product into my cart. This product literally threw itself into my cart. I'm, of course, talking about the Crofton Ice Bucket, ladies and gentlemen. Or as they translate it in Spanish, say this with me, Cole, the Balde, Balde de Hielo. Did you know if you actually trace the etymology of that word, what, what the original um, Spanish people meant by that was, come sail the river of paradise with me. Oh, I had no idea. That's yeah. amazing. And so I've literally, I don't even call it an ice bucket anymore. It's just the balde de hielo. And anytime you talk to somebody about this brand new ice bucket that you've purchased, the immediate question they're going to ask are, what are the specs on that guy? And I'm so happy to ask that. So this literally here, I'm going to read the, from the product description right now. This is a three-quart, 2.8-liter Balde de Hielo. 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 And thing that's so amazing about that, this is a scientifically proven amount of ice that should be put out at every party. You put out anything less than three-quarts, people are going to be like, man, you're so chintzy with the ice. Why Why you got to be holding back on the ice? Mm. You put out more than that, and I know, Cole, you've it's, probably experienced this. It's distracting. This. It's, it's crazy. Just like, what is with this giant pile of ice? It's just staring at me. Like, what? You just throw food away willy-nilly? Like, you, you're just trying to show off your wealth? Is that what's going on? Like, You're like, this is a great party, but man, do you have to shove your ice <laughs> in, my, in face. my face? Like, my goodness, do you have like some sort of ice tree that you're getting all this ice that you're having to put out? Like, literally, like four quarts of ice? So this ice bucket cures all that. The other amazing thing, Cole, you're a married man. I am. You know how to land that special somebody. Right, just the one special somebody. And so let me kind of throw this uh, hypothetical scenario past you. Okay. Okay, so you're at this party. Mm. You, I, I'm single. I'm speaking from a single perspective. Um, this wonderful, beautiful, single, attractive female approaches you. Mm-hmm. She's like, hey, do you have any ice to be able to put in my beverage? And you're like, not only do I have ice, but let me take you over to my balde de hielo. Now, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when she gets one look at this balde de hielo, hielo. Right. the construction on it is exquisite. We've got a beautiful it's cyl- like, yeah, cylindrical like design. Copper dimples everywhere, like I'm pretty sure you could scrap this thing and get double its money. It is copper. It uh, has a stainless steel construction on it's it. It's got a little um, like side thing for 
the tongs to be stored upon. It's <laughs> fantastic. Kind of dimple pattern yep. in the copper. I mean, it is absolutely exquisite. When she gets one look at that, she's going to know that this Albalde de Halo yeah. is more than an ice bucket. It's a statement. It says, I love you so much. I respect your beverage so much that I would store this ice for your beverage in my brand new Balde de Halo. It's life-changing. Right. When she sees that, she'll know, like, you're the type of husband material who will change the diapers for the kids, who will make sure the dishes are put away correctly. I mean, honestly, when I brought one of these things home, I could tell you nothing spiced up my love life more than this. Like, this ice bucket has really put the fire of God in my marriage. You know, as a single guy, it might not, you know, I don't have to worry about it spicing up my love life right now. But it gives you a confidence and a swagger. So all these, thank you once again. You're absolutely amazing. Yes. Hail to our unofficial corporate sponsor, Aldi. Thank you, Aldi. Well, maybe let's then move forward now to Jewish culture. So we can see how this is a message that transcends politics. And it's sort of undermining the Roman Empire. Um, not through this exertion of force or dominance, but by coming under and, and bringing love and, and grace and humility and, and transforming hearts and transforming mindsets. Why don't you now kind of dive into sort of the Jewish culture and how is the gospel hitting the Jews uh, during this time? Uh, yeah, well, I think it's kind of important to understand like what the original purpose of Israel was. You had the whole world just covered in idol worship and people believing in all sorts of different crazy gods and sacrificing their children and whatever. So God is like, rather than just, see, God doesn't work typically through just like popping in and being like, here's the whole truth and nothing but the truth and you have no choice but to believe. But he works with us and takes us on a journey. And so God sets apart Uh, a man, Abraham, and says, hey, come out of your country and I will actually be your God. I'll make a covenant with you. And so he makes this promise to Abraham who, you know, you can read about this in Genesis if you need to, but uh, he says like, I am going to make you a promise that not only are you going to give birth to a multitude uh, nation, but I am also going to bless every family on earth through you. And so that is like what they they consider themselves the children of Abraham because they came out of that promise. And then you go through the story and the thing that the Jews really prided themselves on, not only their heritage through Abraham, who the one true God revealed himself to, but through this idea of covenant. And a covenant at its core is not just here's a list of rules, like a contract between us, but a covenant says, I am all in on this, and I am pledging not just my stuff, but my entire being to you. Like, if you and I, Mark, we're going to make a covenant, it's like all of me, all that I have, all that I am, all of my love, it is to you and for you, and it is sealed with blood, because the idea was, if I do not hold up my end of the covenant, then it will cost me my life. So it's like a really serious deal. And so God made a covenant with Israel that he would be their God always and forever. Uh, But the problem is, as you might know, that that type of covenant was um, dependent upon the performance of Israel to fulfill their end. So you would see passages like where God would show up and say, hey, uh, okay, today I set before you life or death, choose. 
And the way you would participate is by obeying God's law to perfection. And if you did that, there would be peace. There would be prosperity. There's so many covenant promises. Uh, you know, God would be with you. His presence would be with you in the temple. And, you know, you'd have this great woohoo life. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, if you don't, though, it's these severe, severe, severe consequences. Israel, throughout their history, found themselves unable to, over and over and over and over, unable to fulfill their side. And so they just got clobbered throughout history. But the amazing thing is God reveals his heart that though that's the framework he was working in, that was never his true purpose for humanity, his true goal. His true goal is are what you get in the messianic prophecies, they call it, where he prophesies a new world, a new kingdom, a new covenant, a new time and place where you wouldn't have to teach people about God because we would know God, where the, you know, it says like the the mountains will flow with wine, like uh, there will be prosperity, there will be peace. It, it's just this beautiful picture of a new humanity, and it would come through a Messiah where God himself would actually step in and and fulfill that promise. So is that making sense to you? Yes, it's totally making sense. So when Jesus shows up, yeah. he was the Messiah. He was going to bring in that new reign of God, bring in that new covenant for the entire planet. The problem is what had happened is the Jews had turned so inward. They had become, I, I hate to say it, but basically racist. Uh, like we're the children of Abraham, so only Jews matter. And they had... God chose Israel for the nations, not from, like, from the nations for the nations, not at the expense of the nations, right? But they had definitely turned it into that. Like, we hate the Syrians, and we hate the Gentiles, and we hate all you guys, and we're our own little club, and our Messiah is going to come one day, and he's going to kick all your, you know, your king's yeah. butts, and he's going to establish us, and it's going to be great. So that's what they were ready for, especially with Rome. Um, oppressing them. They're like, we're ready for blood. Um, But what they also didn't realize is that the heart of a covenant is the relationship. And that was always God's goal was that love relationship. But they had made it all about the laws. And not only did they make it all about the laws, they upped it. Like Jesus is like making fun of them because they're like literally counting out how many grains of spices they're going to tithe. And the Pharisees, they, they prided themselves on how well they could keep this law. So Jesus, man, he comes in and he just frustrates that whole thing. Not only is he the most backwards messiah in their eyes because he's talking to samaritans and he's and he's talking to gentiles he like purposely pushes their buttons and goes like you know i love that story where he shows up and he preaches in the synagogue and he reads from um isaiah 61 61 which i have tattooed on myself but anyway he he's he's saying i'm the messiah but then he goes on this whole rabbit trail rampage rant where he's like in the days of elijah there were tons of sick people in Israel, but who does Elijah go to? He goes to Naaman the Syrian, you know, and they're like, oh. And he's like basically saying like, you guys have missed it. You have missed it. You have missed it. God's favor is with the Gentiles. And they're like, they actually try to throw him off a cliff. So Jesus is not mincing words. He's saying, I'm here for the entire world, not just you, the Jews who have completely missed the boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really like that. And so you've kind of given us a frame, uh, like a context 
of of sort of the culture of the time and and so you can imagine what the Jews thought of the Romans who are just violently oppressing them and so that gives you a context for the story of the Roman centurion yeah. whose son needs healing and and just the offense of the message <laughs> during that context when it's this Roman centurion who who goes to Jesus to have his son um healed and he's like Jesus you don't even need to visit my son like you can just say the word. I know you're a man under authority. I myself am a man under authority. Just say the word. I know my son will be healed. And so Jesus says the word and his son is miraculously healed. But here's where like the crazy offense of that story really like punched their culture in the face. Jesus said, I have never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Amongst all the Jews, nobody has showed or demonstrated me such faith as this Roman centurion, this this culture that's bringing all this violent oppression against this country, against this country, against you know what they believe to be God's people, oh, yeah. the Jews, I'm I'm celebrating the faith in this Roman. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I think people then probably had this huge fear that Jesus was trying to toss out the law and the covenant because that was like that was honestly that was everything to the Jews, especially since. They hadn't heard from God in like 400 years. That's what they could bank on was this covenant. And Jesus, his his disciples included tax collectors. Those were like the greedy, uh, man, they were like basically traitors to their own people. They, they sided with the Romans and they were ripping off their own Jewish countrymen. Sometimes I've heard figures up to like 90% they were taxing their own people. So they're profiting off of Roman oppression against their own kind. I mean, they were hated by the Jews, and Jesus is like, these are my people. And they're, so you can kind of see, like, why does Jesus hang out with these guys? So they think, like, this guy disregards the law, and he disregards his heritage. Like, what's the deal? And that's why Jesus came to say Yahweh had not forgotten his covenant. He had actually come to fulfill it. So that's why he's saying, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I didn't come to abolish it. I actually came to fulfill it. I actually came to meet its requirements for you so that it could be set aside and we can set up the new covenant that was prophesied, which is for all. (laughs) So there's just so much, so much offense, but really like the message of the Messiah through the Jewish context is that Jesus or or Yahweh is the one true God, the king of the universe, and he is going to be the rightful king of the entire planet, and everyone is included. Everyone, the farthest ends of the earth, the foreigner, the alien, not the outer space aliens, <laughs> but like <laughs> but like all those people that are on the outside. You are included. And Jesus stepped into that new covenant with his ministry. Like in the old, you know, you had uh, lepers, they were considered unclean, so they would be sent outside the camp apart from the government people, kicked out. But then Jesus comes and he goes straight for those people. And in the old, like, if you touch them, you would become unclean. But Jesus is prophesying this new covenant by saying, no, when I touch you, you become clean. And they were physically healed of their, yeah, it's just amazing, man. So Jesus, yeah, he he definitely brought a revolution, but the Romans feared the blood that they thought like this blood that's coming is he's going to try to destroy us. And the Jews wanted blood. They're like, man, kill those Romans, like freaking crucify them in the streets. But then Jesus shows up and he gets himself crucified. And here's kind of the crux of it is like, not only did he look like a complete and utter failure because he did not rise up as that political messiah, but he died on a tree, which was just 
offensive to the Pharisees yeah. because in the law, there's this law. I don't understand. I'm going to have to look into the history more. I confess I'm very ignorant of Jewish culture for the most part. But there's a law that says, cursed is he who dies on a tree. Such a random seemingly law, you know? And Jesus gets himself killed by dying on the tree. So he is essentially absorbing the curse of the tree, the curse of the law onto himself. And then when he rises from the dead, he sets it aside because he broke the curse. Like the curse has no hold over him because he broke it. So (laughs) it's, yeah, it's amazing. He's basically like, I got that curse. Now let me destroy it. Yeah. And, And what he promises is... People think of righteousness as uh, it's just your moral standing. Like God is a judge and you're unrighteous because you've done a lot of bad things. So God's going to give you this righteousness that belongs to him. It's not what it is at all. Actually, N.T. Wright argues in a lot of his stuff, which I can put articles in the descriptions if you want, but that uh, righteousness is essentially your membership and faithfulness to that covenant that we talked about. So God is literally giving away covenant membership to people by faith. That's so and good. he's saying all the benefits and blessings of covenant belong to you now. It's extended to all of you. Yeah. So I, I want you to share this principle. So I was talking to Cole a little bit in our prep for today's podcast. And something that he showed me, I just it's going to sort of even bring sort of uh, fuller clarity to the point that he's making. But what I want you to do is I want you to talk about in the uh, in covenant that God made with Abraham, like he was both like the author and fulfiller of the covenant and how that now points to our new covenant relationship. So maybe just share a little bit about that Old Testament story and then how that points to our, our now covenant relationship with God here in the new covenant. Yeah, there's so much stuff about covenant. It's like so hard to even try to distill it all. So um, have fun with that. Go explore it for yourselves. Um, but Scott Crowder, he was the one that kind of got me on this path. Um, But something I learned in my studies, I learned this from a book, you should check it out, it's called Between the Pieces. But anyway, he talks about how Abraham, he only ever knew of these pagan gods who were ruthless, mean, vengeful, needed appeasing. So that's his whole framework. So when Yahweh calls him out of his people, He's essentially following this voice. He knows it's a God. He doesn't know which God it is. He doesn't know what this God's going to be like. He, he, for all he knows, he's going to get killed out in the desert, you know, mm-hmm. but he, he chooses to go along. And then God starts to flip his knowledge of the gods on his head by revealing what type of God he is. So Abraham, he says, we're going to make a covenant and because he, he, he makes him a promise. I'm going to make you a great nation and through all the ends of the earth, you will be blessed, right? So the way it works essentially was like this. You get animals, specific ones, I don't know them all off the top of my head, sheep, goats, cows, whatever, I don't know. But you split them in half and you make a path. And the idea was that the stronger party, which obviously is God in this point, would um, offer benefits to the weaker party um, and they would make them walk between these animals, essentially to, to make an oath that... If you don't fulfill, if you fulfill your end of the covenant, right, I will give you all these protection benefits. But if you don't, it will be to you as one of these animals. Basically saying, I'm going to kill you. So again, Abraham has no idea what kind of God he's dealing with. All of a sudden he knows, like, I'm about to make this covenant with this God. I would be terrified, honestly. But then God does something amazing. He puts him into a deep sleep. 
and Abraham sees uh, something like a torch come from heaven. And rather than Abraham, the weaker party, walking through the pieces, God himself walks through the pieces. And he's essentially saying this, that my promise to you, I swear by my own blood, I swear by myself, let harm come upon me as God if I do not fulfill my words to you. It's so amazing. (laughs) So this new covenant with Jesus, God knows and demonstrated through Israel that truly human beings are not capable of rolling on that level with God. We are not capable of having our own end of the deal held up. So God sends Jesus, his own son, his own self, really, and he establishes a new covenant where he provides the blood, where he provides the covenant blood that seals the deal. So essentially you have God promising this new covenant with all these amazing benefits and reality. Again, I'm promising you my whole self. I'm pledging to you. And then Jesus steps in not only as God, but as humanity, right? And then we'll get into this with the early church father stuff. <laughs> Jesus being God and humanity dies on the cross and seals the deal for humanity. So God essentially promises and keeps both ends of the deal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So if humanity slips in their performance, it's held up by the blood of Jesus, not by our performance. <laughs> yeah. So that brings another question out. And I just like to ask Cole questions because it just he then drips with all this <laughs> theological discourse. Why the blood, Cole? Like, what was the blood all about? What was that? It says the blood speaks a better word. What was the what was the purpose for the blood? Dude, I could literally go on for the next like I know eight you could. hours, that's and that's I that's uh, I'm, I sure. I don't think I'm gonna get into that you too don't much. Want to do no, 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 okay. because I actually talked about it in my last nugget, and I I kind of want to continue talking about it in nuggets. But the blood of Jesus, it's a lot of things, but it's essentially there as a permanent reminder. When you, when we sin, it is not that God is after us and um, trying to punish us, but our conscience gets violated and we, have, we fear God wrongly. We try to run away from him. And so Jesus being our high priest and his blood is a permanent sign and reminder that God is always on our side. He will only ever be on our side and nothing we can do can take that away. Yeah. And again, it's that covenant seal that it's been paid for. It's been set in stone. Yeah. (laughs) That's so good. I think like one thing too, like for me, anytime I'm struggling with any sort of self-condemnation or shame based on, I don't feel like I'm living up to my end of the covenant or I don't feel like I'm performing quite quite right. Or maybe, you know, you, you fall into a sinful uh, mind pattern or habit or something like that. What eliminates you from all that self-condemnation, shame, guilt is all pointing then now to the performance of God. It says that we can rest in not only, not in our faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Christ. And so if you are in a place of struggling with self-condemnation, shame, guilt, not feeling like you held up your end of the bargain, that's the whole point of this message is that you're unable to and it points to Christ who perfectly fulfilled it for, for you on, on, on your behalf. So like for me to rescue myself from places of shame and guilt, it's not to try and repent to a point where I feel now I'm on even terms with the Lord, but it's now going back. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at how he's per- perfectly fulfilled my end of this of this covenant arrangement and it celebrates 
what he's done on my behalf. And in that celebration, as I just begin to celebrate what he's done for my life, it eliminates, like the byproduct of it is it eliminates all guilt, shame, condemnation. Yeah, the blood too, also it it speaks it speaks about who God is and what he's like. Because again, um, our ideas of kings and rulers is like this violent submission and gets revenge. When, when Cain kills Abel, he says, I hear the blood of your brother Abel crying out from the ground, crying for vengeance, right? So the whole like mess of the world was this violence like people keep killing people and keep there's just this endless cycle of violence and destruction and when god is calling out abraham again he's saying all the fabricated gods were these violent vengeful gods but a god took israel and abraham and the whole journey you can't see my hand motions but i'm making a path journey (laughs) he he's taking them on this journey where they start to reimagine and see God as somebody completely different. So the blood of Abel might be crying vengeance, but God is saying, when I have enemies, I do not kill them and demand their blood. I actually provide my own blood. I lay my life down for my enemies. And so the blood of Jesus, what the blood of Abel screaming vengeance, the blood of Jesus is screaming forgiveness. It's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for all of eternity, that will be what the blood of Jesus is crying out on our, be- on our behalf and-, and for us to hear is you are forgiven, you are set free, lay down your violence because this is what God is like. This is what his kingdom is built on. <laughs> so the blood is a signpost and maybe this is a good time before we, uh, we've got maybe uh, one more section before we close out our podcast, but yeah. uh, we need to send a signpost to send folks to this retreat. Yes, so yes, yes. Is- Let me pull up the info here on my phone. It's being put on by our friends. Yeah, so the lady who is running this, I don't know her personally, but my wife has been listening to a lot of her teachings lately, and I've really enjoyed what I've heard. And also our good friend Janella Fox. I like to say Janella, Ella, Ella, A, (laughs) A, A. Yeah, um, she actually helped develop the curriculum, I believe, that they're teaching here. So my wife kind of pointed me to this. It's called The Written Retreat, and uh, basically, essentially, you're going to get away for a few days in this gorgeous environment and get awesome meals and go through this thing where you have small groups, and you're basically talking about your dreams, you're talking about your purpose in life, and really diving in and going on some time to contemplate and pray. And so let me just read this little blurb for you. It says, you are invited to the written retreat. You are invited to a brand new women's retreat launching February 2019. The written retreat is a life changing personalized weekend where dreamers intentionally discover how to partner with God to capture and cultivate their dreams. I wonder if they'll give away complimentary dream catchers. I don't know. (laughs) Journey through the written Bible study with a close-knit community in this three-day power-packed event, practical exercises, tangible takeaways, and I'm going to put effects on this, powerful encounters with God will give you fresh clarity and awaken new insight to bring your God-given dreams to life. Uh, There is a ton of info in this blurb, so I'm actually going to skip ahead a little bit. But here you go. It's February 21st to 24th, 2019. Three nights. You get farm-to-table meals. Whoa. Now, 
all I can now that we've been talking about like Jewish culture and stuff, all I can picture is like maybe they'll do a simulation night where you get to sacrifice your own dinner to God or whatever. <laughs> I don't I don't think so though. I don't know. But uh yeah, there's going to be all kinds of fun stuff. You get to stay in a cabin and here's sort of the info. Um the general registration cost is 525. But think about what you're getting. I mean, you're getting like kind of the experience of a lifetime here, especially if you love food too. The chance to just get away and like eat food and talk with the ladies. Uh, So how to register, I'm just going to put the link in the description. So check it out. It's the written retreat. Definitely go. Husbands, if you are just, you just want to score the most points possible, man, pick up an extra shift at work or two buy your wife registration surprise her with it maybe watch the kids i'm sending my wife i'm watching our baby girl for three whole solid days it's gonna be pizza every night for dinner don't tell my wife it's gonna be i'm a little nervous for the state of our house when she comes back but at least she'll get this amazing retreat out of the deal so valentine's day is coming up as well also, Mark, I know you've been really kind of looking for your purpose lately, too. I mean, maybe you could pull off like a missed outfire situation. Just like find a way. <laughs> like, be like, no, I have to have my own cabin. It's like, they're like, well, it's a community. No, I need my own cabin. I'll Trust pay me. $700. <laughs> just give me my own just cabin. Just give me my own cabin. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> well, if the dream catcher is included, I definitely want to go. Yeah, I mean, really, it's $25 for the retreat and 500 for the handmade dream catcher, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cool. we highly recommend it. Um, we've got great friends that are very much a part of it. It's really impacted their lives, and uh, and we really celebrate, you know, what God's done in their life and now what they want to bring into women's lives. So anyways, if it sparked your heart, check it out. Spark? Heart spark. Um, okay, so one other aspect we want to really touch on is how, how is this gospel, how did it impact like some of our early church, church fathers? So I know, Cole, I know like you like to read up on guys like Athanasius and Irenaeus. How do you say it? Irenaeus. Yeah. Irenaeus, Athanasius. <laughs> Your they, guess is They're two different mine. people, yeah, correct? They're two different people. Yep. Two different people. Um, so anyways. Polycarp. That's a great name. Sounds like a Pokemon to me. Yeah. <laughs> Polycarp. Polycarp. Yes. I would love to catch a Polycarp. <laughs> Pokemon Go, another thing we'd like to plug on the show. Um, anyways, so this this message hit church fathers in a way that, you know, some some of our like modern theological framework wouldn't necessarily understand, or it comes from kind of a different angle. So why don't you Tell a little bit about some of the things that you've really dived into and things that have jumped out from just reading teachings from early fathers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I started getting on this kick a couple of years ago uh, because, again, I was just like really, that's probably four years ago now that I started doing this, but just really this question, like, what is the gospel, man? And just realizing how hard the church fathers had to fight to sort of preserve the faith because, like, you had heresy is just rampant running around people saying all kinds of dumb stuff about jesus that he was just a spirit being who never really came to earth or that he was just a human and he ascended into godhood and then that puts you right back on the religious treadmill of if you do enough stuff then you could become god i mean just all kinds of ridiculous stuff and so there this was everywhere so these people they really fought to like preserve no no no. this is what jesus was really saying and communicating and with that they really expound on stuff that honestly the the 
original disciples weren't even fully clued in on. You know what I mean? Because it's actually very interesting. You can see this progression. Like Peter, the first time he ever preached the gospel, he stands up in the book of Acts. And what he's preaching about Jesus is essentially you guys killed him and he raised from the dead. And there is violence coming upon this culture because of the empire. So be saved from that. Trust in Jesus and be saved. It was so. It was almost... I don't know if this is quite the right way to put it, but kind of a natural way of looking at the gospel. But then it isn't until much later in his letters that you start to realize, oh, there's this whole extra spiritual dimension to what Jesus did. And Peter writes about that later. We start to say things like, by his wounds, we are healed. And so you you kind of know, like the disciples, they were hanging out with Jesus. They were constantly confused. You can actually realize that they didn't fully unpack what just happened to them until much later in their lives. And so the early church kind of carried that on of unpacking, like, yeah, Jesus did die like this natural death, but that is just scratching the surface of what Jesus did, even beyond his Jewish and Greek paradigms. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you start to read that stuff. And man, I tell you what, we talk about being intoxicated in the spirit. I started reading this little book called On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, and I honestly was like floored, like laying on the ground, drooling, just like vibrating under the power of God because there's so much revelation on it. So uh, they had all sorts of different dominant theories of what the cross was actually accomplishing. One of them was like this idea of a ransom. Now, we get tripped out when we say that because we're like, well, does that mean God like paid the devil? No, that's not what they're getting at. But what they're saying is like we were stuck in our sin. Our sin was holding us in a place where death and sickness and disease and violence were able to ravage us. And Jesus and the Father really in his compassion um, sent Jesus to rescue us out of that, to liberate us from our spiritual oppression under these powers. And so like the blood of Jesus, essentially Jesus by becoming a human, being fully divine and creating and sustaining everything by becoming a a human being actually took all of humans into himself. So what happened to him happened to us. He went all the way into the belly of the beast, all the way into death itself. And almost like, um, like you ever see that movie Men in Black? I have not. Okay. Well, there's a scene where uh, (laughs) they're trying to kill this alien. And uh, so the main character, he allows himself to get eaten by this freaky cockroach alien thing. And then he shoots him from the inside with this massive, like, laser cannon. And he explodes everywhere. And there's, like, blood and guts everywhere. So, like, Jesus... We could not help ourselves, so Jesus went all the way into death itself and by raising to life destroyed it from the inside out, breaking the curse for us. So it's just like, oh, man. That's yeah. good stuff. Uh, one thing, too, you touched on it. If, if you guys haven't listened to the Nugget, you can go ahead and listen to the Nugget. Um, but one of the concepts that you touched on that I absolutely love is God's response to sin wasn't to sort of shun, hide, distance himself from sin, but his response to sin was in the person of Jesus. He ran towards sin, and so he he saw sin not as this thing that there's sort of this uh, like justice scale that needed to be balanced. That we did something wrong, and 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 uh, and so now this uh, balance needs to be uh, righted. In as much as he saw us in a condition where we were sick, where we were depraved. Yeah. And so he, his response to sin was to run away, to eliminate, to bring life and, and to bring healing. Yeah. 
yeah, definitely. The other thing too is like the de- we talk about debts being paid and stuff like that, and you start to realize like sometimes people paint God as the one who needs the payment, but really like the way they s- were seeing it in the early church, and I mean there's a huge diverse amount of views in the early church, so I don't mean to say like I've got the one way, but what you start to see as a common theme is that death is sort of the villain here. Death is the one that's making the demand on us uh, because of our sin and our lack of knowledge of God. And so Jesus, his blood actually atones and makes payment towards death so that we could be freed from it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. So, so Jesus really, when, when he says, I don't know, we paint God as like he was wrathful and his wrath and justice needed satisfying. What Athanasius says is like, God made us good if he's a good god and he made us good if he sees us wandering around in that sickly state where we're like slowly devolving into death that's unfitting of his goodness like it's his goodness that needed satisfying on the cross like god could not just sit back and watch that happen and remain a good god does that make sense yeah it just puts a whole different spin on it for you yeah and i actually one one thing that this sort of revelation has sort of brought to light in my own heart which allows me to actually like celebrate the wrath of God, is I realize that the wrath of God is turned against anything that would cause um, sort of uh, an object to his love. I like the song, In Christ Alone, so in Christ alone, right, my right. hope is found. It's, it's kind of a, a theologically rich song, but there's a line in there that says, on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And so what I really love to sort of unpack in that sort of revelation is the wrath of God, or in in essence, what you're saying is actually God's goodness is being satisfied, is the wrath of God is turned against anything that would oppose his love. So our opposition, our internal sort of offense, our internal sin, which was opposed to God, was swallowed up in his wrath to see it completely eliminated. So, So the wrath of God wasn't sort of bent towards something needs to be punished so that my wrath could be appeased. But his wrath was turned against sin because he saw our fallen condition. He saw our sickness. Mm-hmm. And so wrath was poured out against sin to see it absolutely abolished from our lives. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that's another one. Um, we talk about this idea of propitiation, meaning like God was angry. Somebody got to get smacked. So let me smack Jesus instead of you. Like, come on. Is that really forgiveness? That's no. So, <laughs> but the the Eastern Orthodox Church still maintains the side of the debate. But like that word propitiation could actually be translated expiation, meaning the destruction of. So, so for example, when Jesus, again, he being united to creation, when sin, all sin was placed on him, it wasn't so God could punish the sin. It was so that God could actually destroy the sin power entity itself. And all of it, he gathered all of humanity's worst and put it on Jesus. And then in just one swoop, just pow, just destroyed it. And so your sinful nature has been destroyed. That power that Jesus uh, set you free from has been defeated once and for all. (laughs) He's victorious over it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really cool picture of that in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they're out, they're wandering in the wilderness and uh, they get uh, attacked by all these like venomous snakes. Do you remember this story? Yeah, yeah. And so God's solution to that was for Abraham, Abraham, or Abraham, no, Moses, 
uh, who was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness was him to fashion a snake and to put it up on a what at that time looked like maybe like a cross on a signpost. And then as people looked to the signpost and saw the snake on this like cross or on this post, as they looked to it, they were made well. And so that in the Old Testament is a picture testifying to actually the work of Christ on the cross. Yeah. And so the snake in that picture is very much symbolic of the curse of sin. Right. And so um, as we see our sin put on the cross, and as we see that eliminated through, you know, the wrath and the love of God being poured out to see that thing eliminated, as we begin to see that, we're made well in right. our hearts. It takes out the snake bite of sin. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and too, like the cross being a signpost, it's like it talks in Second Corinthians about how the minds of unbelievers are veiled. Like you're, you're actually blinded by these powers to think that God is against you, basically, or if, or not to believe in it at all. But when you see Jesus on the cross, and at the same time, you're seeing this is what happens to somebody when sin takes its full course. You see the ugliness and the death of sin. You see exactly how ugly humanity can be. At the very same time, by faith, you're seeing that that is the exact point where the love of God is at its strongest. And you see that there is nothing that he won't forgive, nothing that will stop him from loving you. It breaks that blinder off because you actually see the love of God piercing through the most vile darkness and it breaks off the powers off of you. And you can you can turn yeah. to the Lord and be yeah. saved. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about like what God would use to bring our redemption, our healing. He would literally take our worst act in all of human history. We we took the perfect uh, loving son of God and we crucified him. And that was the act that God would use to bring life and healing. It's just, I don't know. It's, uh, his, his love it's is awesome. Amazing. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, I think uh, we. Could, I think we probably will just have to do another episode about this. We're getting pretty long here, but yeah, but I do kind of want to throw in one thing that um, I think fits both categories of like Jewish culture and this early church culture is the idea of um, union with God. So the Jews, like for them, the temple was everything, everything, because it was the center of their universe. And it, because they thought it was the literal dwelling place of God. Like God literally lives inside this box, right? And then Jesus comes along and says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up. Now he was talking about himself dying on the cross and raising up, but he was also making a very provocative statement like literally, yeah, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days because what he did is he actually put himself inside of us, like the Holy Spirit inside of us to where we actually become the temple, the house of God. We actually, so the, the veil is torn, meaning God is everywhere, all over the place. He's not restricted to this box, but he actually lives within us, like our entire life. And really the world itself is now one big temple for God's presence and Holy Spirit on the earth. So <laughs> juicy. <laughs> That's a marvelous thought. <laughs> So there you have it, everybody. Uh, in how how long have we been going? Oh, Maybe sixty minutes, probably longer. a little over an hour. About about the length of uh, a short Hollywood movie. About the length of a kids movie. Uh, a nice kids movie. <laughs> yeah, so trolls. Any, <laughs> thank you for listening to Trolls the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody asks you what the gospel is, you you can be like, oh, 
Do you have 75 minutes? <laughs> and I'll be able to break it down for you. I do think my friend Jared has a great quote. Um, Jared Gustafson, who has a awesome podcast too called New Natures. Nice. He says the gospel is best shared over tea. Oh, there we go. Me and you yeah. had tea this morning. Yeah. So. so cheers to the gospel. So there is that. But Mark, I do want to ask you though to maybe close this out. All right. I'm going to put you right on the spot. Most of us don't have the opportunity to sit down with everyone while Trolls is on. So like, <laughs> what would you say? How would you present the gospel to somebody in just a short time? What would you say? Great question, Cole. So my thing with the gospel is I'm no longer trying to get somebody to believe something or to confess something, but I am now actually telling them what the faith of God yes. uh, is speaking towards them. <laughs> And so plain and simple, I don't know exactly because it always depends on context and who it is and the conversation, but I know just in the way I look at people, just in the way that I speak to people, I'm affirming them with the love of heaven and the belief system of heaven, which says you are worthy of my love. You are 100% forgiven in my eyes. I present you holy, blameless, and innocent before my Father. And I want you to receive that so that your conscience can be free and cleansed and you can live before me um, in perfect uh, union, that there'd be nothing that would be able to restrict you from the love of God. So I don't know. I don't really know um, no, that's how that good. communicates, that's good. but I just know basically that's sort of in my heart what I carry when I am sort of sharing the love of God with people. Yeah. And then like in the moment you might have some sort of I mean, I know that you've literally carried around a bag of sauces and said, like, yes. <laughs> I'll prophesy based on whatever sauce you pick. I mean, <laughs> fantastic. Those things kind of come up, those analogies, well, as the, you need them. The amazing thing is it says that as you go, it says you might not have the words, but the Holy Spirit will produce the words when the time is needed. And so for me, when I engage with people, I know that one key is to listen Listen not only to the Lord and what he might want to speak, but to really engage with the person in front of you, begin to listen to their heart, begin to ask them questions, begin to get an understanding where their story of faith is or or their context of faith, and then just trust that the Holy Spirit will give you the words as necessary. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. And then I'm going to invite them to say, hey, do you have 75 minutes and I'd like to listen (laughs) to a podcast and we'll have tea and it'll explain everything for you. Yes, yes. Um, if I had to go for it, if I had just, just an elevator time to talk with somebody, um, I think I would say something like, this is the good news of Jesus. And news, when you watch the news, they're not telling you stuff that you have the option for. They're telling you stuff that has already happened. I love that. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus. Jesus Christ is king and savior of the entire universe. He's not like our kings. He's a king of love. He's a nonviolent, but he's very powerful. He brings restoration into any area of your life that you need it, and he has included you. He has he has grabbed you and placed you inside of his brand new family. You are part of a family. God is actually not a distant being who is against you, but he's your one true father who's always loved you, always cared for you, and has done everything necessary to bring you into relationship with him. And if you will just open up your heart, if you will just let that love come and touch you, you can begin to enjoy that new life today. 
Amen. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Sweet. All right, Mark, here's what you do. I want you to fold your No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, thank you, everybody, for joining us, you know, in this journey of sort of unpacking the gospel. We'll look forward to doing a lot more in the future with you. Uh, but this is, I guess, our farewell. So, until then, we bid you adieu. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, the bumper music's probably starting right now. It's boom, boom, boom. Yep. I don't know how the bumper music goes. <laughs> <laughs>